1: I don't care what they might say, we love Jesus anyway. Choose to go to the store, choose to buy or not buy certain items at that store. Oh, sure, we have that ability. But to choose God, to sit up as a dead soul and say, I choose God, let's talk about that next. And Welcome to today's broadcast of Way of Grace, coming to you from Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward and online at grace-bible.com. Today we're back in our series, The Myth That Man's Will is Free, and we are exploring scriptures which speak abundantly on this subject. We invite you to spend time with us as Pastor Jesse Gastan continues our series, The Myth That Man's Will is Free. We're in part two today. Here's Pastor Jesse
2: with today's message. This is the interpretation, O King. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. Verse 25, that they shall drive you from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make you to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven. Seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomsoever he wills. So this is a battle between God and Nebuchadnezzar. See, so Nebuchadnezzar somehow began to lose his mind like the human race that I'm dealing with. See, the human race that I'm dealing with is losing its sense of its own arrogance over against the sovereignty of God right now, too. And that's what Neb did. Neb secretly, privately started boasting in all that he built and all that he had established. And he was willing to steal God's glory. And not give God the honor for, even though Daniel has been with him, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, since the beginning of Neb's reign. And God's been blessing him through those Hebrew boys. And Neb now wants to rise up and tell the whole world he built this with his own hands. That's where we are in our nation. That's where we are in our own country. This is why you don't don't even expect to hear our leaders give God glory anymore. See how far we've gone? And it wasn't that way 70 years ago. Our leaders gave God glory and honor way more than they do today. Notice what it says in verse 26. And where is your commandment to leave the stump in the trees uh, of the tree roots? Thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee after that you shall have known that the heavens do rule. Verse 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. If it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Now, you see what Daniel does? Daniel says, now, if you start acting right, right now. It's possible that this judgment may not come on you. Y'all got that? That's a conditional clause given by the prophet. That's not what God said. Do you understand that? And that's why Neb paid Daniel no uh, attention, because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have a free will to do whatever he wants to do. His will is in bondage like all of our wills are in bondage to our lust. And the lust of our father we will do unless God intervenes. Now, this is what goes on. I I got two other accounts to share with you. Not today, though. Verse 28. All this came to pass upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29. At the end of 12 months, this was a year after Neb, after Daniel gave him the vision. So like for a whole year. Neb had the opportunity to hear that little caveat that Daniel had given. Change your ways, boy. Just stop acting a fool. Start giving God glory. Start going to church. Pick up your hymn book. Right? When you breathe in, say hallelujah. When you breathe out, say praise the Lord. And, count, and, and give God thanks for all the riches and wealth. Because God has made you a big tree, boy, you are the head of what is called the golden cup. Babylon was the epitome of glory. The epitome of glory. God made Babylon the epitome of glory. And that Neb was the representative thereof. Twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. Now watch this. The king spake and said, Is not this America that I have built for the house of the kingdom, by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. See it? Now you see how ugly it gets in the context of the sovereignty of God and God giving him patience to show the arrogance of his heart. Now, here's what I want to say to you. If you were in Neb's place, you would do the same thing you and I wouldn't be any different than Neb. You and I get a little leaf off the Babylonian tree and we go to clowning. We don't have anywhere near the proportion of wealth that Neb have and we still act a fool. We, get, we buy a little hoopty and we want to act like we run the world. We get a raise on the job, 50 cent raise and we think we king of glory. That's how foolish we are, right? We're no different than Neb. No different than Neb. Verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth. see it? Wow. There fell a voice from heaven saying, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar to you. It is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you. Could Neb's free will overcome God's sovereign decree no. to determine that Nebuchadnezzar would be used by God to show the world That God rules in the kingdoms of men. See, it wasn't going to happen because no man has a power in their freedom of will to thwart God's purposes. Um, I could give you several others. You could read for yourself the whole chapter of Isaiah chapter 10 with the Assyrian king. God lays out the same thing with the Assyrian king. He said, I'm using Assyria as a battle axe against my own children, Israel. But then around verse 11 or 12, he says, but the Assyrians don't think that way. They're going to rise up and overpass and they're going to try to hurt my people, Israel, when they ought to know I'm only using them to chastise them. But they're going to rise up in order for me to take them and drag them through the river like a wicked carcass of which I'm going to have to do. And it goes to show you once again that God is sovereign and man is totally depraved and bent on his own evil and that unless God does something for you and I by virtue of intervention, the whole human race rebels against God like that because their wills are not free, their wills are slaves to sin. Does that make some sense? All right, I'll leave that one there. Go to Romans chapter 7, and let's reassert for ourselves what Paul says is the inexorable struggle that all of us have. We're going to start at verse 14. We'll pick this one up on Friday as much more of a personal critical analysis of our own struggle, even as children of grace. Here's what Paul says. For we know that the law is what? Spiritual. Now that takes some explaining. But largely what that means is it actually the law of God proceeds from God. God is spirit by nature. So the quality of the proposition is spiritual and its aim is at the nature of man. And therefore, the nature of man is to receive God's law at a spiritual level It's from spirit to spirit. This is critically important. It's spiritual by nature, meaning that it's not merely to be obeyed in the externality of physical activity, but from the what? From the heart. That's what Paul is saying. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am what? So there's your paradoxical nature. Now, he's talking about himself. He's a believer. Is he carnal? Is there a carnality element to the believer? Right. This is why I said we're simultaneously what? Righteous and what? Right. So we have that conflict, don't we? So this is where Paul is going to explain that within the economy of our sanctification, we have to negotiate with the limitations of our carnal nature that seek to impede our obedience to God. Right. Otherwise, we're going to be lying. Now watch this. I am carnal and I'm sold under sin. What is sold under sin? My body. This body is sold under sin. Do y'all know that? That's the last verse in uh, Romans 7. Start at verse 24. So this is how we cap out this. He says in verse 24, these words, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the what? Body Body of this death. That's the carnal part of us, right? The body of this death. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's Romans seven fourteen. I am carnal, sold under sin. What is my body? What is it? A body of what? Death, Death because of sin. Right, so it's not alive in the sense of spiritual quickening. My soul is, my body is not. My mind is, but my body is not. Now I am able to articulate the formulation of Galatians chapter 5, Verse 15 and 16. Right. The spirit less against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit so that you cannot naturally do what you want to do anymore. You are in a battle. You would agree with that. Right. All right. Going back to Romans seven, briefly, going back to Romans seven, briefly, Romans seven. Now we want to look at in our outline. We can just take up verse um, start at verse 18. Verse 18, Romans 7, verse 18. For I know that in me that is in my what? That's that, that's that carnal man that is that old wretched man, right? I know that in my, that is in my flesh dwelleth what? For to will is present with me. A desire to do the right thing is with me. But how to perform that which is good, I do not find. Do you see that? Now, what is Paul admitting here? He's admitting a principle of volitional willingness, but he's also admitting an absence of power to do it. Did y'all get that? Right before you were saved, you didn't have this willingness. The willingness only comes with the new nature. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. So what the Christian does not get to do is tell the world, just because we're born again, we have all power to do the right thing anytime we want to. That would be a lie. Now the unbeliever doesn't even have the willingness because they're still dead in trespasses and sins. Am I making some sense? So some of us have the willingness, others of us don't, but none of us have the power in ourselves. And that's because God chooses to make sure that the Christian operates out of God's power, not his own. Does that make some sense? Right, so that you don't lie on God about your ability to obey. Because Christians love to sell religion. They will package obedience and make tens of millions of dollars out of it. You follow me, I'll show you how to make a bunch of money. Wake up in the morning, pray these prayers, read these Bible verses, do this, do that, do the other thing. You do this, you'll be uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be a child of God on the mountaintop and you're lying. The people of God only obey as God gives us grace to obey. So here's what Paul does. He says in verse 19, these words, for the good that I would, I do not do. But the evil which I would not do, that I do. Do you see what he's saying? Now, the language is is a lot more technical in the Greek grammar because it's really talking about an awareness of what is right that I long for over against an awareness of what is wrong that I am inclined to want to do. That's a tension. An awareness of what is right that I long for Over against an awareness of what is wrong that I am inclined to do. And all Paul is saying is that's where my struggle is. Does that make some sense? All right. Verse 20. Now, if I do that, I would not. If I actually find myself leaning into and then acting out, expressing the thing that is not right, it is no more I that do it but sin that dwelleth in me. So now what Paul is doing is recognizing that in his spiritual man, he longs and knows what's right. Even though from time to time, he actually does what's wrong. You got that? Right. I know this is humbling, but it's true. This is humbling, but it's true. This is not the absolute constant pathology of the believer where every second of the day, you're doing the wrong thing. But you do enough of the wrong thing to know it's wrong and you know it. And and, and that conflict is there for you to tell the truth about it. I did the wrong thing again. I did the wrong thing again. That was not right to do. And yet I did it anyway. Now, Paul here is talking about discovering how to manage that kind of internal conflict and misorientation of behavior. So he's not just laying out what a Christian goes through in the uh, paralysis of wanting to do what's right, but not being able to do what's right. He's not saying that at all. He's saying you have to learn how to manage the sinfulness of your fallen nature so that your obedience to God is dominated by a set of principles that allows you to overcome those tendencies. That's where Romans eight comes in, to play, but he's walking it out for us to keep us honest. Notice what he says in verse 21. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Do you, do you guys know that one? That's like a remarkable axiomatic reality. Now I deny, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. What a wonderful oasis. Does anybody know the oasis? I call this the oasis. I delight in the law of God in my image. That's, that's the way I opened up Sunday's message. This place that you get to go in the spirit in fellowship with God. That's rich, deep and 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 transformative, quite frankly. It's the place that you want to always be. Yeah, this is what Peter meant when he said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I don't even want to go. Let us build a booth for you, Moses, and a lot, and just stay right here. I don't even want to go down off the mountaintop. I don't even want to leave. Let's just do church and call it a wrap. Peter was ready to go. He knew he had some growing to do, and he'd rather not. He'd rather just sit there and fellowship. Y'all understand what I'm saying? This is what the child of God loves. It's called the oasis. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Verse 20. Three. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Crazy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So right there, what we're admitting is our wills are not free until God gives us grace to liberate our wills from our sinful drives and passions and strengthens us to overcome sin the inclination to act out on our passion. Did that come home? Like, it's really important for you to know that, because if you don't have that mechanism working, you will only simply act out of your sin. Right, so, so Paul is driving us in a direction. Verse 24, what a great expression. oh wretched man that I am, see it? Because so what he's doing is militating against himself because he actually understands his identity in Christ over against his identity in Adam. And he's able to actually express in very rhetorical and um, and emotionally charged terms. This actually gives you an insight into the quality of Paul's thinking about what it means to be the righteousness of God in Christ. Because what it indicates is that he hates his old man. Do you see it? How wretched he is to think that he can actually occupy the space of God in a way and just openly rebel against the most wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from this body of death. So inherent in that question is I need deliverance. That's the whole study of the book of Judges. Do you understand the whole book of Judges is that we get ready to deal with a brother tripping on that this Sunday. Gideon, he getting ready. Gideon, get here we go. Your turn, Gideon. Your turn, brother. And Gideon's an already acquiesced. Cause he didn't look around and don't see nobody doing anything right. And, uh, and you and I are just like Gideon too. And so the answer is given to us in Romans chapter eight, verse two, Romans eight, two for the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So here's what, here's what you know. we picked this up on Friday. We'll pick it up. So, if we say to the unbeliever, to the unregenerate person that in their volition and their in their will, they're free to do good or evil. Jesus means nothing. He has no purpose for anybody's life. Do you understand that? Jesus, if you and I can just do good or evil, whatever we want to then we don't need Jesus. I'm talking about as an unsaved person. They don't need to be saved. They don't need to be converted. They don't need to be born again. All they need to do is just start change your ways, boy. Change your way. Stop now. Just stop acting up now. Go ahead on now. Change your way. Take your leopard skin off. Take your spots off and change your way. Just act right. Haven't y'all heard that before? You just need to change your ways. Now, you ain't going to change your ways. God going to have to change your ways. You do understand that this is what we teach. Right. So now know what's happening in Romans 8 3. Paul is saying another power outside of himself has intervened to liberate him from that set of mechanisms in Romans seven. Y'all see that for the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Jesus hath made me free. Hath made me free. Passive uh, passive uh, Aries verb from. Hath made me free. I did not make myself free. Christ came and freed me. Do you see it? Hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 6, 22, this is, this gets treated by Paul in Romans 6, 22, and I want you to see it. Romans 6, 22. <clears throat> this is what he says, and then I'm going to read through 24. Um, really, start at verse 20, please, because this is probably where I want it to say. For when you were the slave of sin, you were free from righteousness. Right? right? So we made that plain. Do you know what that means? You had no relationship to righteousness. Righteousness was free from you, and you were free from it. Every time you saw righteousness, you crossed the street. And whenever righteousness saw you, it crossed the street. The twain would never meet because you are a slave of sin. That's what the text is saying. You were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things where you are now ashamed? We know that, don't we? For the end of those things is what? Right. So we already know that the wages of sin is what? So if a man is a slave of sin, he's living a life of death. That's what the text is saying. Now look at verse 22. <clears throat> but now being made free from what? Yeah. But now being made free, notice again this is the passive verb form, but now being made free. You did not free yourself. Right, right. Somebody else freed you. Now we already know the answer, we just had it, Romans chapter 8:3. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free. Now we hear Jesus, Jesus back in John chapter eight thirty six, right? For whomsoever the son shall set free, free is free indeed. Now what the Christian admits is I was in the prison house of sin and Christ came and liberated me. The only reason I'm walking free now is because another had the power and right to take me out of my condition and put me in another condition so that now I'm walking in the freedom that he purchased for me by his grace. Does that make some sense? So therefore we're not stealing God's glory by saying by my own free will, I reached around and unlocked the prison door, opened up and walked out. What a delusion. Right, so you guys have been taught a little bit more today. That the will of man is not free to do whatever he wants to do.
1: Well, you have been listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. If you have questions or comments about the program, maybe you would like to learn more about us here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Reach out to us by simply calling 510 886. 9782, or you can visit our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Sunday services here at the church are 1030 in the morning. Friday evening is our Friday evening Bible study at 630. And man, we've got friends of the ministry from all over the Bay Area who join us for this Friday night Bible study. It is an amazing time of God's word and sweet fellowship in Christ. 6.30 in the evening Tuesdays, our prayer time and a short Bible study as well. These meetings, again, the directions and information of which you can find at our website, grace-bible.com or by calling 510-886-9782. This program continues to air here on this radio station and on the World Wide Web because you partner with us financially and prayerfully. Thank you for your support. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. And you can either give on a monthly basis or it's a one-time gift. It is all tax deductible. And again, the biggest part of your partnership with us is that we get to continue ministering the gospel of grace here in the Bay Area and all over the world. Consider that as you contact us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. I don't
2: care what they might say, we love
1: Jesus anyway. I don't care what they might say, we love Jesus anyway.